your drink? Yeah. Raspberry tea, huh? It's disgusting. I think you're the only person that drinks Monster. Josh drinks it. Oh, see how it's. All right, 45 minutes to get there. First things first, I am April. And I'm Katie. And we are sisters who are sisters. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great idea. Listen, okay, so this, this is, is what we're idea. doing. We are starting this podcast called Haunt Haunt and Cold with Katie's stories as haunted stories and around this, Utah. Yep. And I will be covering cold-hearted cases. So originally it was going to be cold cases, but you know, to broaden that, we're going to go for so just true crime. True throughout. crime, really. Great idea. So right now we are traveling to our first haunted location. So this is episode one. Yeah. We're traveling to a haunted location and April has no idea where we're going. She no. just knows that we've been driving for about two hours now. Yeah. East. Yeah, so as we're driving and getting to our location for the haunted story, April's going to tell us her story for true crime. Yeah. Oh, but wait, April. Yes. You don't know anything about this yet. Oh, shit, okay. I thought it'd be fun. Give you an object that might be in my story. A freaking creepy ass baby doll. Yep. Plastic baby doll. That's a baby. Oh, is there a baby ghost? There may be baby ghosts. Oh no. That's really sad. Oh shoot, maybe I should check the map. Which is a turn. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, let's start really quick with wait question what the hell i don't know where you're going but I don't either we'll just i'll just ask you questions while you're frantically trying to figure out where we're going so right. what in your life started your interest in paranormal and true crime do you remember when we were kids dad would just watch ghost hunters no joke same that's exactly <laughs> it we would watch history channel ghost yeah. hunters and then mom would watch lifetime so that that was our paranormal and true crime Introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. I remember, like, on Sundays, we would, in the morning before church, you know, right. we, we would watch Lifetime on Mom's bed. Before we hear the word of God, we'd go <laughs> hear the word of murders. But half the time, we would end up getting wrapped up in the story of whatever show this was, and then we wouldn't end up going to church. <laughs> like, oh, darn. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, we were inactive members because of our Lifetime. Because of all of our excuses. <laughs> yeah. It really was what it was. Yeah. Because I remember watching Lifetime. And they would have, like, stalking and, and, like, attempted murders and stuff. And then yeah. a lot of them were, would say, based on a true story. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. I would be like, this seriously freaking happened? And I would worry about, like, okay, if I was in this person's situation, how would I get out of it? And then that became my new obsession of, like... And that's where our anxiety began. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, living life, what is the worst possible scenario... How would I handle it? All of the things. So, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, do you want me to tell my story? Yeah. It's a good one. It's a sad one. Okay. As all murders are. Right. I'll tell you about it. Okay. Let me tell you trigger warnings first. I want to be Look, fair. That's a castle. Oh, cool. Someone has a castle. That has okay. a freaking huge tube slide. Oh my Someone gosh. had a castle attached to their house. Dreams. But well, that's what dreams are made of, really. Yeah. Okay. So, trigger warnings. LBGTQ plus violence Uh and Utah religious views on the LBGTQ plus community. Oh, yeah, man. It gets heavy. You're just gonna, um, sorry. All right. Well, um, but I also want to thank those who actually did the actual research to tell me the story. So my reference is Utah investigative journalism project. The Q Salt Lake Magazine and Salt Lake Tribune. This is the 43-year-old cold case of Anthony Adams. Do you know who this is? Uh, is this the guy the police just did not investigate his stuff very well? Well, and basically... He's, and he's also like a person of color? Yes. Okay. Okay, so Vaguely. Me... I don't know the whole story, but I do know that like... I just know that it was a, a very sad story. Yeah. Okay, so let me tell you about it. A little bit about Anthony before we get into the, the sad stuff. Anthony was born July 30th, 1953 in Baltimore. Ooh, he's a Leo. Yep, what does that mean? He's just a very outgoing person. 
Yeah. That'll, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. But he grew up Catholic. As a child, they, him and his family moved to Salt Lake City. Wait, where um, was he from again? Baltimore. Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yep. So Anthony attended Judge Memorial High School and was involved in science and chess clubs, the Student United Nations. He was on the honor roll, the soccer team, and the staff of the school newspaper. Okay. And he was also in the debate club. So super Jeez. social. He, you know, was involved in a lot of things. He was a smart kid. He was involved in a lot. Like, he did... It sounds exhausting, but he seemed to like it. <laughs> he was, like, one of those kids that, like, just never had time for anything other than what he's already involved in. Yeah, he's involved in so many... I don't know. He just seemed like he really was a go-getter type of person. Yeah, okay. Actually, Anthony and his brother were both national merit finalists. I don't know if you know what that is, oh, but it's, man. like, it's basically, like, a scholarship situation, like, where if he, he would have one he was a finalist him and his brother were finalists but if he would have won he would have had like a scholarship for college and stuff wow so he's very intelligent uh, his brother was as well both driven kids their mother attended college in the 1940s despite the obstacles of discrimination being a black woman well and and the great college. depression too. yeah yeah so wow. she she was a badass and you know like obviously raised super smart yeah. strong kids but yeah so she was no stranger to hardship with all the discrimination that she went through and raised a son that was very passionate and confident in himself and his own beliefs on social issues so he was very outspoken mm-hmm. with his beliefs and who he was as you always from a fairly early age anthony had a difficult time being gay and a man of faith so he grew up catholic and you know being a man of faith well in any religion that you know frowns upon you know it's hard you go through like an identity crisis type thing or just struggling with feeling like you're living uh you know a sin and yeah it's just a rough time but it is such a big struggle struggle even still for most openly gay or anyone that's in the lbgtq plus community especially in utah yeah (laughs) let's just say yeah um it's rough yeah (laughs) it is it's really rough but he learned to accept himself through a community church called waldrop's metropolitan community church which preached that christ's love and homosexuality were not mutually exclusive so God doesn't care. Okay. He lo- will love you no matter what, which is what, awesome. honestly, what Christians teach, but still frowned upon. It's you know. a social part of it. It's yeah, it's, it's interesting. The church that he went to, the community church, was also active in social justice issues as well. So that's where Anthony met Reverend Bob Waldrop, which was the... Of, the owner? Yeah, the reverend okay. of the community it's church. the name of the place, right? Yep. Um, so they frequently attended protests together. They met at a meeting of the Salt Lake City Coalition for Human Rights. He helped Anthony kind of through his um, his struggles with his identity. And through this coalition, Anthony became a part of protests such as picketing the performance of singer and anti-gay crusader Anita Bryant at the Utah State Fair in 1978. Anita Bryant is like one of huge? those... No, I, I wouldn't say that she's, like, this super popular person yeah, um, or singer or anything, but she led a anti-gay movement called Save Our Children Community, uh. Uh, which basically deemed homosexuality as a danger to children of America. Uh. She was just on a rampage, and she seemed to be backed by a lot of Christian churches as well, which during the 1970s, you know, people are starting to be... It's kind of like the disco age of, like, psychedelic drugs. Yeah. And, and being more openly gay. Open-minded. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. it's just... It was just a different time. And I think the Christian community was super confused and scared of it, I think. <laughs> Probably. And But it was... It, in Utah especially, like, people were scared of the possibility of running into people who were gay or... Jeez. Being, like, it's a freaking plague or yeah, something? Yeah. But also in a situation with a person who is romantically advancing them. So, like, Mm. even in this exact year, 1978, uh, Boyd K. Packer actually gave a talk in the... and who's Boyd K. Packer again? He's a general authority of the LDS Church, so... One of the head honchos. Yeah, one of the the top dogs of the LDS Church. Okay. So, they do general conferences twice a year, which is talks and 
they give like speeches about the church and how to follow it and basically for the members of it's the church. It's broadcasted. Yeah, right? it's broadcasted to, you know, uh, all the members of the church and usually they're transcripted and put on the church website. This one particularly was the um, General Conference of October 1978, which is interesting though because the transcript of this talk is not on the church's website anymore. So there's a link when I was researching this. There's yeah. a link. It does go to the page of the October 1978 conference. Yeah. But it, it isn't there. Well, it doesn't even reference it. But I did find the video on the General Conference YouTube channel. So I found the video of the talk. But I, okay. I can see why they probably took it down. But let me tell you about it. Jeez, okay. So at the, during this talk, he jokes about a time where a missionary confessed to him that he punched his companion. So missionaries go out in twos. Uh, when they're out on a mission, they're in twos. Like their companion is like their partner. Yeah, and they go and preach the, the gospel of the LDS church. Okay. So um, Boyd K. Packer said that he thanked the missionary for punching his missionary companion because it would have been frowned upon for a general authority to solve a problem in that way. Whoa, what? Wait, because he couldn't do it himself? But yeah, because he because he was making romantic passes at him. His <gasps> missionary companion was... Oh. Yeah. And oh so boy. he said it, and, and everyone in the general, like in the, where they were giving the talk, they were giggling and laughing about it. And he said he doesn't recommend solving a problem in that way, but he doesn't omit it. He doesn't say it's bad. <laughs> Um, I don't recommend that path, but... Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. so... All right. Packer says, this is a quote from him. He said, there is a falsehood that some are born with an attraction to their own kind and that they can do nothing about it. They are just that way. And that is a malicious, destructive lie. It is of the devil. No one is locked in that kind of life. Oh so when gosh. you are... Okay, so who are you to say that, though? Right, exactly. I mean, it's frustrating because this is what's causing the scare. Like, you you know, and then promoting violence to someone that makes a pass at you instead of saying, oh, like, I'm flattered. Thank you yeah. for thinking of me like that way. Like, handling it the way you would if it was an opposite gender, you know? Like, yeah. if some guy walked up to me and said, hey, baby, I'd be like, <laughs> I got a ring on my finger, thanks, you know? Right. Like, or just like, no, thank you. Like, I'm, a, I'm thanks. Yeah. Good, you know? But, okay, or just punch him in the face, and that solves the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is just basically the environment in Utah, which is honestly not much different from now. Yeah. <laughs> With the LDS church. But it's obviously a church or a general authority now probably wouldn't say, like, thank you for punching someone in the face. Oh, yeah, no, no. No. Which is probably why it's not on their website, honestly. Don't they also, like, have their their talks, for the most part, pre-written? Yeah. And somebody has to go and, like, make sure that they're not saying the wrong thing? I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I'm sure they're edited and they're, like know, they, they, they looked just, over now. Yeah, like, they're proofread or whatever. Yeah, and I honestly don't think this would have passed today's standards, but no. I do think that, like, people should it was not take... Now. Not take every word that comes from the church leaders as straight gospel. I'm just saying. Because um, they're people too, you know? Like, they, yeah. say, they say things that they probably don't... Or that they look back and might regret. But it's also too like, hey, well, don't say those things when you have a microphone in front of your face. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and you're so, being broadcasted across the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, at the time, Christians in general were nervous about the gay community because Salt Lake City, they had a, a gay night scene there and it was just, it was starting to become a safer place in a way. The LBGTQ plus community had a place to go where they had people and allies, but you know, surrounding areas and the strong Christian community, it was still a dangerous place. I mean, so the coalition's protests, so he was a part of these coalition for human rights, right? Most of their protests were peaceful. For example, they held a candlelight vigil for a murdered gay man before the Anita Bryant protest. During their candlelight vigil, someone from Anita Bryant's protest tossed a tear gas canister into the crowd in reaction to the conflicting beliefs of the two groups. So During the vigil? During the vigil. The candlelight vigil. They're just sitting there and, like, just holding a candlelight vigil for yeah. these 
two is actually two murdered gay men and they were peacefully Doing showing respect thing. for yeah. them and they were tear gassed. <gasps> Doesn't this sound kind of co- uh, um, like familiar? The tear gassing that happened yeah. just this last year? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, okay. In the fall of 1978, Anthony was campaigning for William Hoyle, socialist congressional district candidate. Just trying to like have his voice in the politics and all of that stuff. Yeah. So and represent his his community too, you know. Exactly. And and William Hoyle was like a, a ally to the LGBTQ plus community anyway. Okay. So cool. he was yeah. Anyway. The first weekend of November in 1978, Anthony went home early from work as a bus driver at the Utah Transit Authority to his Avenue's apartment. He was going to the U, um, and his, Got which it. I kind of thought was interesting that he, ch- maybe he didn't necessarily choose the route of a bus driver. I mean, he was involved in all these different debate team and uh, the United Nations student thing at his school. I was surprised that that was his job. You do what you gotta do through college, but it True. still was interesting that that's what he was. Yeah, that was it though. Like, yeah. you know, if you're a bus driver, you see so many different people that like in the community. Maybe that was his way of like getting to know people. Yeah, that's possible for sure. Cause I, I was always like, what? Like, yeah, you could do so much, and maybe that's why he's involved in the politics is because he kind of gets to put his skills he learned in school to work yeah I guess yeah anyway so yeah so on this night in November he went home early from work he'd planned to attend a political rally for William Hoyle that Sunday but Anthony never made it to the rally Mm. okay so he's he's goes missing kind of at about 8.45 p.m. on November 6, 1978, Will Woodbury, which is Adam's boyfriend. Wait, that's the, that's the guy. The reverend guy. No. Oh. It, the reverend's name is Waldrop. Bob Waldrop. Oh, and what's this guy's name? And his boyfriend's name is Bill Woodbury. Okay, it's the W's that got me all confused. I know, there's, there's too Sorry. many. Sorry. It's okay. So, okay. so Bill Woodbury, got it. his boyfriend, uh-huh. and the Reverend. Oh, oh, both of them. So yeah, they were all together. And one of his friends, Clemens Back, was like someone he did a lot of protests with as well. Uh-huh. Went to Adam's apartment at 125 East First Avenue. So he's in the avenues up there in downtown Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, they were concerned because no one else had seen or heard from him for several days. Um, after climbing through a window, what? Woodbury, his boyfriend, found Anthony in the bedroom naked, covered in blood. <gasps> naked? Yeah. So, Anthony had been stabbed repeatedly with a butcher knife and his throat slit. <gasps> oh my gosh. I know. So you, oh man, so, oh, that's... Brutal. Like, brutal. Uh, An autopsy showed that he had been dead for, for several days and most likely murdered on November 3rd. The um, day before the rally thing, right? Yeah. So at 25 years old, Anthony Adams was brutally murdered in his apartment. The question is, why? Who? What? When? Where? Why? I mean, we know where. It was his apartment. Yeah, but like... But why? And who? That's that's the question, and that's what is still unanswered. Okay. So the possible motives... uh, We'll go through those. Let me take a drink of this disgusting uh, monster. They got rid of the purple red bulls they were my favorite and i got rid of them so back to the story yeah um so retired detective ron millard spent the most time on the anthony adams murder case he believed the murder to be a crime of passion so this was his theory something like a bar pickup gone violent he believed if the crime was premeditated the assailant would have brought their own weapon instead of using a butcher knife from anthony's home but Detective Millard also mentioned it was pretty common in those days for domestic disputes between gay men to turn violent. Honestly, they probably thought uh, with the times, like, you know, the violence um, was more from, like, secrecy and trying to hide things yeah. and it being too much. And then, you know, yeah. like, the pressure of family not knowing uh, who they really are and then who their friends also trying to hide it from them which you know yeah anyway yeah. that's where yeah. the violence between couples often often happened okay um 
the activist community at the time did not agree with this uh, assessment and hoped the police would provide more protection for the gay community community in fear there was a serial killer attacking gay men in the city because oh, yeah especially with the tear gas lady yeah so they Jeez. were involved in that vigil for two other gay men that were murdered and then he yeah. was murdered and they were never able to link the three murders <gasps> did they try i don't think they did i don't think they thought that they were related at all okay well somebody needs to go back and check <laughs> right and I wonder if it's because the MO or the style of the attacks were so different that they were oh. like, oh, they, this is not the same person. Yeah, okay. Reverend Waldrop, a member of the group, um, was quoted by the Salt Lake Tribune as saying that the LBGTQ community feared there might be an LA-type slasher out there. So, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, there were freaking serial killers all over the damn place. And Jesus. They just call it an L.A. slasher. Yeah. Like the hashling slasher. Yeah. From Spongebob. Okay. So, yeah. So, they, they, he, everyone in that community was very nervous that there was a serial killer type person out there, which wasn't uncommon for that time anyway. Well, and when you're a minority. Yeah. A double minority. A double minority. He had, uh, he had uh, some targets on his back, I'd say. So, at the time, though, another motive possibility at the time Sid Stapleton was a socialist workers party official out of New York City told police to treat Anthony's murder as a political assassination since he was actively campaigning for William Hoyle Um, but Salt Lake City Chief Bud Willoughby made no promises to treat it like an assassination he just ensured that his department would treat gay community murders the same as any other, but I call bullshit. Yeah, so it's like, oh, no, no, this one, this one isn't, but if it happens again, then we'll, maybe we'll look into it. It's frustrating because I feel like it was like, okay, don't worry. The gay community is safe with us. Don't yeah. you worry. There are already three gay men in this small time frame that have been attacked and murdered, so okay. Yeah, Not thanks. to mention the tear gas lady. I'm sorry. I'm still hung up on that. But, like, who does she think she is? She thinks that she is saving America's children from I think gay. she deserves a punch in the face, Mr. Boy K. Packer. For real. Okay. So, interestingly, though, officers investigating Anthony's case asked the Socialist Worker Party attorney to provide a complete membership list of the persons associated in the party so that each would be interviewed and shown pictures but the weird thing is officers repeatedly asked for the membership list when the party representative just asked to get like the composite drawing to ask their own members um, to circulate instead the police refused let's see three weeks after anthony's body was discovered another gay salt lake city man doug coleman was shot to death a few blocks away from anthony's apartment a few months later mona Yulibari, a lesbian, was raped and murdered. Oh my gosh. While police said Coleman's suspected killer was arrested and sent to a mental institution and eventually died, no one was ever charged with either either of those murders. What? So they didn't they do not treat them the same as regular no. murders. Okay, so yeah, Mr. Mr. Chief guy was like, oh yeah, we'll we'll make sure for the next one. And then <laughs> right. two more happened in the same year. Yep. And and the guy that supposedly did it is just locked up in a mental hospital and mental was not hosp- charged. And not charged. Was there even like a trial? No. Was there any? No. They just said he was crazy and put him in a mental mental institution, but had never charged been charged with the murder. So uh, yeah, boy. Um, to this day, Beck has no doubt in his mind that the police were trying to get them to shut up. The LBGTQ plus community were completely heartbroken and loud about it, as they should have been over Anthony's murder. Oh, yeah. So the um, over where the Vivint Smart Home Arena is right now and the KSL Studios are over there in that area. Yeah. Um, there used to be five gay bars, all uh-huh. night bathhouses, and what? a nudist strip 
<laughs> Wait, what's a bathhouse? I don't know. I think it's where people just go and bathe together. Oh, kind of like in Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Isn't there a scene where, like, there's, like, an underwater cave thing and everybody's naked? Yeah, and they just, like, go and, like, get in tubs and it's probably and some kind of orgy situation. But <laughs> Okay. Uh, sorry, family. But, yeah, so it, this is, like, this area of... Uh, where the Vivint Smart Home Arena was, <laughs> it was called Bear Ass Beach. Yes. <laughs> so that. within this lively area, the original Sun Tavern, a prominent gay bar in the area, would hold shows with headliners like Gloria Gaynor. I don't know who that is, but okay. she would belt "I Will Survive," and all of those at the bar would they would yell and belt "I Will Survive" so that the Temple oh. Square people could hear them. That just gave me chills. Right? At this time, they're trying to have their voices heard. Yeah. And trying to prove that they're not going to shut up. They're going to be loud. They're going to be who they are. And the LDS Temple Square, wherever the hell we are, this is so pretty. I've never seen this place before. Oh, yeah. We're in the mountains. We're, let's see, we're coming up to a national, we're at Ashley National Forest. (gasps) Bump. That was okay. It was just a tiny bump, but it looked (laughs) like the road was ending. (laughs) (laughs) You... (laughs) Over exaggerated, just a tiny, <laughs> tiny bit. Okay, I just thought yeah, that was this cool. Is, this is really pretty, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Like it's like a little valley. It looks like this is bear country right here, right? I feel like this would where a bear would like to live or dinosaurs. But but <laughs> the animals that exist, like bears, probably dinosaurs <laughs> exist. They just don't. They don't exist alive though. Okay. The fact that police were refusing to consider any other motive other than a violent gay lover lover's quarrel is infuriating for the family and friends of Anthony who knew the strong Christian and anti-gay atmosphere of the area. They're pissed that that's the only theory they're willing to entertain was that, oh, just, you know, it's a lover's quarrel. Like, that's, he picked up the wrong person at the bar. Which, maybe, but how do you look into other stuff, too? Yeah, I mean, he was involved in so many things look into something freaking else you know like and even if he was involved in like a bar pickup gone wrong which definitely happens even still if you're not finding that answer then think of other answers I mean I'm not telling you how to be a detective but it seems pretty right smart well especially if you're having people from out of state call you and be like hey you should look at this as like a political assassination yeah maybe maybe just just tickle their ideas and look into it. Yeah, just, right? just, just check into just it a little, little bit. Just a little and uh, see, what, see what happens out of, out of that. Exactly. Oh, by the way, this fire happened last year. Oh my gosh. Sad, huh? Yeah. It's so sad, like, how fires, like, really just totally take just out. wipe it out. So much. Was it a, what is it called, a gender reveal gone wrong <laughs> that burned this place to the ground? I really hope not. It's happening everywhere else, though. Yeah, seriously, it's like just don't even reveal it, man. Yeah, just it's a surprise. Just pop it out, and that's the reveal. So they gave the Utah Investigative Journalism Project the name of a person of interest, Mickey Ann Henson. So a former detective, Corden Parks, who until his recent retirement led the cold case squad, believes it was a crime of opportunity, likely by a person or group who targeted gay individuals as a vulnerable. Oh, I don't know that vulnerable targets for robbery. So this Mickey Ann Henson, she was identified as a person of interest in 2012 wow. after she had died though. So she had died already, but um, in 2000- And how many years later is that? That's like 40 like something? Yeah. No, like 35-ish? I don't know. Still. Math is hard at when there's a lot of pressure for me to know the right answer. <laughs> I can't do math in motion. <laughs> no, I... I need to really think about it. Okay. So, 2012, they found a fingerprint in his apartment. They scanned the fingerprint, and it came up with this Mickey Ann Henson girl. Doesn't that just make you not want to touch anything when yeah. you go to somebody's apartment? I know. Like, I'm like, just going to keep my hands in my pockets, because in 40 years from now, I don't <laughs> want to be linked to your murder. Just don't go to anybody's house that you think might be murdered, because... Yeah, there you go. So that's, that's what you should do. I think one day you might be murdered, so I can't come over. Sorry. Sorry. That's I how you to, bail out. I have to wear gloves at your Someone's house. Someone's bound to kill you eventually. Yeah, you drive me nuts. And if it's not me, it's going to be somebody else. So um, all the police know about her is that in the late 1970s, she was a drug user, a sex worker, and was suspected of associating with a group known to rob gay people. Oh. 
So, if Anthony was gay, why would he have a woman sex worker in his apartment? Oh, yeah. You know? Well, um, yeah, that, that tells you all you need to know right there. Yeah, what if they were just besties, you know, what happens? Yeah. Um, according to the Utah Investigative Journalism Project, the autopsy file ob- obtained by them suggests Anthony was about to become intimate just before his murder, but swabs taken from the body did not find the presence of semen. Yeah. Some kind of test that they ran during the opt- autopsy Probably, I'm. Uh, this is totally guessing because I'm not a scientist. Believe it or not, I am not a scientist. Well, I, I believe it. But <laughs> you believe me and my fact checking, or believe that I'm not a scientist? I believe that you can Google things okay. really well. Okay, good. Okay, this is what I Google. <laughs> okay. They did some kind of test uh-huh. to know that he was excited. Okay. Oh. Dur- you know, erect, full of blood. There. Oh, you know what I mean. Okay. Well, you know when you have. Well, not when you have an erection, because <laughs> you don't have those. Yeah, let me tell you about my erections, April. About <laughs> But anyway, so how an erection happens is because it fills with blood, obviously. Uh, if you don't know warning. about... This is not... April, you should put this in your trigger warning. Sex ed is what we're learning about This is today. not sex ed because the thing is, is that I don't know what I'm saying. But I so it's like not I'm... educational. I'm just guessing. <laughs> You're just guessing. Okay. All right. It's not sex education. It's sex guessing. Go ahead. Anyway. Go ahead. So that's how they know that he was about to be intimate, but there was no semen around him because hence there would have been semen if there was exciting things happening for them. Right? Okay. Right, right. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. <sighs> okay. I'm sweating. It's fine. Parks from the cold case, cold case squad wondered if Anthony was lured into a vulnerable situation by Hansen. So the woman uh-huh. that found they found her prints <clears throat> so her and possibly an accomplice uh would attempt to rob him but it resulted in a murder but okay. mickey hansen's sister cindy is confident and just like swears on everything she knows that um she wouldn't have been involved in something like that she's like that's not the type of person my sister is there's no way in hell that's she would be involved in this honestly yes. They're going to say the most nice things about their sister, you know? They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, I could see her being in some shady shit. <laughs> well, that's what I'd say about you. I'd be like, oh, yeah, she would definitely be a freak of some sort. <laughs> yeah. Maureen Webster, which is Anthony's sister-in-law, uh-huh. does not believe that he was a sex worker or that he would solicit one. She got to know him really well when he lived with her and her husband before he moved into his Avenue's apartment. She said Anthony was a person who was responsible and always busy with school, his job, and his activism, and even babysitting his nieces and nephews. But obviously, you know, she doesn't know everything about him. I wouldn't say I know everything about my in-laws either. We're at a lake! That kid totally just biffed it in the water. Oh, Get up, you can do it. He's sliding. You got it. Just stand your ground, man. Throw him. Okay, well, I'm almost done with that. No, you're good. Okay, so she said that Anthony wasn't just my brother in law, he was also my best friend. Brother in law and your best friend. I feel like, depends on how close the family is, it's possible, but also weird. I wouldn't say any of my brothers in law are my best friend, sorry, but. Well, I guess people have. So I think he only had the one brother, so if it's his sister in law from that brother, I could see them being very close. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. See where we're from a bigger family, wait, why? Like, why would you pick one in-law, in-law to be your bestie? Yeah. Sorry, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, in-laws, but... You're cool now, but... I'm not picking any of you to be my best friend. I just thought to be rude, you know? I can't be, pick one. We just gotta keep you in the family zone. Yeah. There's a family zone, a friend zone, and then a husband zone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just stay in your lane. <laughs> So after Adam's death, articles in The Militant, which was a newsletter produced by the Socialist Workers Party of Utah, Mm -hmm. it suggests the case was a frame-up by the vice officers attempting to coerce Anthony into becoming a confidential informant who could spy on the activist groups he was a part of. So they think that the whole, like, sex worker thing was a setup, and then they were going to frame him into being an inside man for the activist group. Okay. So they think that it was a setup... Which wouldn't be surprising. Mm -hmm. Um, Waldrop, the reverend, remains convinced, along with his friends and other acquaintances, the murder was never properly investigated. 
obviously. Boy, I'd see. On one hand, he was in trouble for being a sex worker because he had his phone number written on the bathroom stalls. What? The, so, yeah. So, that's how they, they framed him into being a labeled a sex worker because he had his phone number it written in the stalls and they called it being undercover and he answered it and agreed to meet up. But, like, who says it was be- for sex reasons, you know? Well, here's a thought. What if he was a drug dealer? Because didn't wasn't What's-Her-Face... Yes, yeah, um, that Hanson girl. Yeah, so was like what if he was going to yeah. meet up to deal drugs? Maybe he was a drug drug dealer. So, yeah, why was, why were they framing him for sex work? Yeah. I don't know. I okay. don't get it. Well. Detective Millard, who worked the actual case, uh-huh. um, did acknowledge the case was a challenge because two detectives originally on it were reassigned mid-investigation when he took over. But there was never a reason why... The detectives were switched around. I wonder if that's, like, a thing that happens, you know? Like, I wonder if that's normal. If it's not being solved or something? Yeah, like, if if they're like, well, you know, if this isn't going anywhere, so we're just going to move you to something else. And, like, have a fresh set of eyes on it. But I feel like in in the event of switching around detectives, knowledge and stuff doesn't always get communicated, I think. But Detective Millard, quote, says it was total confusion. So it was just a mess at the time that it was being investigated. He also says that people didn't appreciate that homicide detectives of his day were carrying something like 400 crimes against persons cases each year. Everything from rape to simple assault. So one detective was given 400 cases a year. That's what he says. Holy cow. Yeah. That's like, okay, so two and three... How many years were in the day? 365 days in so, a year. <laughs> that's more than one case a day. A day. And you're not going to solve a case every no, day. No, that's, that's impossible. Yeah. So, so they're, they're even giving their detectives, like, no chance to, to, really, to really put focus into each and every single one of these cases. So Adam's case was particularly frustrating, Millard says, because the victim's life seemed so compartmentalized. He was an active he was active in many different groups but only showed select aspects of himself to each one. Even people who were close to him had no idea about some of his other interests and other groups friend groups like knew about other interests but not all of them knew all the same information. That would be with anybody. All your social circles like if you were to die tomorrow like all your people that know you would have to like piece together who you were because. Because not everyone knows every damn thing about me. No they just know. I'm a mystery to every single one of you. Well I just thought about too like if you hadn't come out yet and you were someone who goes to a bar regularly but your family or friends don't know about it Mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden you're being questioned about something because you might have seen somebody there I can just imagine some people being like nope I wasn't there like I I don't know who you're talking about you know just because they don't want to come out yet right they're not ready or yeah Yeah. exactly they're not ready or if they are afraid or whatever it might be I think fear is the most common reason for people to not one with how people are going to react into how they'll be treated after yeah their whole world will change just one little in, little piece of information yeah, that they're going to give someone which doesn't even involve anyone else right so no matter the motive the possibility of finding the killer of anthony adams is impossible because probably not impossible but very very slim because missing from evidence is the freaking murder weapon what missing how does so it wasn't it a knife from his apartment yeah it is missing it is missing currently still the police had insisted that the missing evidence the knife used to kill anthony was lost by the center of human toxicology brian fickle was the director of the center of human toxicology during the adams investigation and said his lab never took possession of any physical evidence the human toxicology center usually only takes blood and samples like, like that serology but stuff. they don't actually take physical evidence to test the police saying that they were the ones that lost it is not real life because yeah. they would never have it in their possession ever what the heck so huh. finkel says the lab's role in death investigations primarily dealt with testing the organs for signs of poison mm-hmm. or drugs and alcohol so it really only tested for those things. Never did ever. they test him for drugs? Did you read anything um, about they, that? I don't think I didn't read anything about them testing him for drugs. Hmm. I mean, it's not like they really did much anyway. No. All so. they know is that he was about to be intimate, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so, all they cared to really look into, which is so so sad, frustrating. 
Right. It's like, don't look at my, you know what, look at my stab wounds. Try to figure that out. So usually the FBI was were the people who would take physical item, items away from the police to test or to investigate. Okay. It wouldn't be this center. It would be some, something like the FBI that would take it. I see. Detective Millard mm -hmm. doesn't recall delivering physical evidence from that investigation in particular to the center, nor does he remember that lab or later the state crime lab holding on to evidence. So he's like, I didn't deliver evidence anywhere, so I don't know how it would have gone missing. So it's missing. It's gone. No one knows. Please. There are no clear answers regarding the whereabouts of the missing evidence among the possibilities is that it still remains in police custody. Misfiling of evidence is not unheard of. Sometimes things get put in the wrong box and it's just gone until someone stumbles upon it. Yeah. So we may never know who killed Anthony Adams, but in the words of Reverend Bob Waldrop, Anthony was a true freedom fighter. In the face of a discrimination, he spoke for what he believed in, even if it was possibly the reason for his death. And that is the cold case of Anthony Adams. Jeez, really sad and makes me angry. I know. Actually. One thing I would like to add, though, is to those in the LBGTQ plus community, that society has made progress with inclusion and more diversity, the in increase in LBGTQ plus rights, but we still have a long way to go. We are allies of yours and we empathize with you, and we are learning every day on how to be better advocates for our friends in the LBGTQ plus community. Definitely. Overall, more than 1.8 million LBGTQ plus youth between the ages of 13 and 24 in the U.S. seriously consider suicide each year. Aww. So if you have thoughts of suicide, please reach out to a trusted friend or family member or call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. And that's the thing is like being an ally of the LBGTQ plus community is really, it's not hard to be an ally, but you do have to make sure that you know mm -hmm. there are resources, and I should have looked them up, but there are resources on how to best be an ally for that community, but it's not always, you know, it's subjective. Yeah. You don't know. You just want to make sure that you're loving everyone. And that you're there for them. Exactly, and, and that's all that really matters as long as you're... Make sure they're heard. Treat them no different than you would any other friend, no matter their race or gender or... Sexuality. Sex yeah, all of it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's it. That's my first story. And you got it all done with. You feel better now? It was a hard one. It's hard when there's like nothing to really like. It's all just, we don't know what happened. He mm -hmm. was brutally murdered in his apartment. We have no idea. Yeah. And that's just, that's just, <laughs> that stupid fly. It, oh my gosh. It's, it's out. It's oh out. Wow. Window. That one's traveled from my house to here. It's oh. far away. Well, that's what happens when you catch rides with people you don't know. That's you... what happens when you get into stranger's cars. <laughs> <laughs> you end up three hours east at a lake what is this place tell me all about it well do you want to get out and like walk around and then we'll come back in and chat yeah let's do it okay let's do you have any idea where we are no you don't know you don't know this place no we we're at a lake are at a lake and this is my haunted story we are at moon lake Ooh, is it shaped like a moon? It is shaped like a moon. Perfect. And look, I even wear my little moon. Oh, got all yeah. themed. Themed. Sweet. And I gave you a baby. Do you remember that? Yes, you got me this creepy, scary baby. Moon Lake is a place where many people come to camp, fish, hike, and get away from it all. How would you describe this place? Far away from everything, we took a weird, lonesome road. Tenacious D. We should listen to that song <laughs> after <laughs> this. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. How would you describe it, though, to everybody that's listening? Okay, so those who aren't seeing through my eyeballs right now, I'll tell you what I see through my own eyeballs. Please. <laughs> There's water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's mountains and dead trees and live trees, but mostly live trees behind us. Um, sand. There are little boats. There are, there's a red truck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, you're done. <laughs> so Moon Lake is most commonly described as a very quiet place. There's um, a chainsaw going on right now, so. Oh, wait. Is well, that a chainsaw? No, that's my computer. <laughs> <laughs> you're stupid. <laughs> that legit sounds like a chainsaw. <laughs> like someone's cutting down trees. In the, but when we were outside, interestingly, I did not hear a chainsaw. <laughs> We're only on the second bullet. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, go. It's usually pretty quiet, and that's thanks to the lack of motorized boats and ATVs in the area. 
So as of 2005, and this is according to MoonLakeResort.com, as of 2005, ATVs have been banned from the area because of the way the mountain is shaped. You can see how it's all around us, right? Yeah. There's like these big walls of mountains. Yeah. Because they're that way, sound just echoes through this place like crazy. So mm. campers here would would just complain about the motorized boats and the ATVs in the area. It's just, it was so obnoxious that people were like, hey, we need, something needs to be done. Yeah. So as of 2005, they've been banned. Okay. And just so you know, if anybody decides to bring an ATV up here, there is a $500 fine and you will be kicked out. So they take I it very don't. seriously here. Oh, and also because the ATVs were very destructive to the area as well. Just be a good person and follow the rules. Big boats and water toys are allowed. So even though they do have motors on them, they are still allowed to float. That was a stupid <laughs> question. <laughs> They're also allowed to sink. Okay. Technically. There's no rules against sinking <laughs> <No>. your boat. <laughs> okay. All are included. <laughs> sinking and floating boats. Okay. So they are allowed here onto the water, even though they do have motors on them. But the problem is with big boats is that this sand right here is very wet during the year. Yeah. So when you bring your truck and your trailers out to then launch, you're likely going to get stuck. Okay. So yeah. you can bring them. Like This year was probably a good year because we've had a drought, so the sand's pretty dry. But... Years where the water levels are higher, it's just a really bad idea. Yeah. So the water of the lake, it does fluctuate a lot. And it's depending on the season. May and June, the levels of the water are at the highest, and that's because of the ice melt coming down from the glaciers. And from July on, it tends to dry up quite a bit. And sometimes this beach is half a mile long. Probably about that. It's probably about that, yeah. Yeah, so this is probably the lowest, the lowest it gets. Well, that's not terrible, but probably sucks for boats. Good if you're sinking, though, because then yeah. you're not going to sink too far. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, the resort staff asks that you check with them before you launch your boats out. So, like, even if you sink, you're good. It's always best to ask the people that are here all the time. Yeah. Because they know more than you probably oh, wait, do. Do we want an EVP going? Oh, or yeah. wait till later? No, we can do that. Hold on. You haven't got to the spooky stuff yet. No, no, it's okay. We'll, we'll do it. In case... We're just going to do it because we are talking about the hauntings in these locations. It would be pretty cool if something were to spike. It's just for fun, you know, just to see. This is my EMF detector. So if it beeps, that means it's detecting an electromagnetic field. And on the screen, we can see what the numbers are. Okay, let's watch it. Stick it there. Yeah. Okay, go for it. And I don't think we have service out here, do we? No, we don't have service, so it's not gonna... Oh, my phone's almost dead. <laughs> okay. It's fine. It's fine. We're fine. fine. <laughs> okay, we're three hours, hours away. Yeah. We're almost lying. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I just distracted uh, every bullet. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Put I the air, air on. I need air. I'm sweaty. We're caught. We're hot. Do you hear our AC? I'm sorry. It's, it's still summer. Um, yeah. Oh, so if you end up bringing your big water toy out and you're like, shit, I can't take it out into the water, you can actually rent these little, see that motorized boat thing? Yeah. You can rent one of those. Okay. If you really wanted we to should boat. have done this out on the water. I thought boat. about that later. It's like, but then when I get to the stories, you're going to be like, I probably would you, scream. You would have, <laughs> you would have, you would have really hated me. <laughs> okay. Maybe in another episode, we'll get more daring and do stuff like that. Okay. We'll see how scared we get. Yeah. Oh, so I know I've talked about the sand quite a bit already. Yeah. But. One thing that makes Moon Lake so unique compared to the other lakes in the Rocky Mountains is that this is one of the only lakes that has an actual sandy beach. Oh. The other lakes in this area, because of the elevation being so high and up in the Rocky Mountains, the beaches are more like rocks. Yeah. Like gravel. And it's not, the sand was super soft. Like we walked out there. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like what you would see on like an actual beach. Yeah. So... Anyway, it's just pretty unique over here. Moon Lake is quite a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. Many natives and locals swear to never visit this place because of the legends surrounding this lake and the forest around it. Shit. So do you know anything about any hauntings or legends or anything that's in the Ashley National Forest? No. Nothing. I actually didn't know Ashley National Forest existed, so. Oh. oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're, we're in a good spot for me to know some new things. Here, let's just jump into what, what the stories are. Okay, tell me all about it. I'm okay. ready to be spooked. 
good. I chatted on Facebook Messenger with someone named Michael R. By the way, thank you, Michael, for giving this information because it actually put me down a bunch of rabbit holes and I got more information from the stories that you told me. And he is a local hunter that actually lives in Roosevelt. Okay. And he had a story to share. Ooh. So in 2015 or 2016, he said he was camping alone one night and it was about 10 or 11 when he could hear a baby crying near the water. Hence, this terrifying plastic baby you gave me <laughs> uh-huh. earlier. Okay. Yep. He sat there for about 10 minutes listening to this baby cry and he thought three things. One, he said, I'm pretty confident that that is not an animal making that noise. Because <laughs> he's a hunter, you yeah, know, like, I knows. feel like he knows. Yeah. I would know if I was if I was in the woods a lot. Yeah. I, feel like. I apparently don't know what chainsaws sound like. but <laughs> <laughs> The second thing he thought was, I had to hike to this area to get here, like, from the road. Yeah. To bring an infant out into this area would be pretty stupid. He was, like, far off the main road. Okay. He wasn't here at Moon Lake. He was just nearby. Just, so the, so the likelihood of, of there being a families family. is pretty slim, especially with small babies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The third thing he thought was there weren't even any family-friendly campgrounds in the area. Okay. Like this one. So he was roughing it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like, he was, like, backpacking, basically, to get to his spot. And the reason why is because he was going to meet up with his dad the next day because they had to leave on different days for this hunting trip because of their schedules that yeah. conflicted and stuff. Work. Yeah. Yeah. For, you know. The use. The use. So he's sitting there, and he's like, I heard this baby crying for 10 minutes, <laughs> which I'm like, being completely alone in the woods, and you have this unexplainable baby sound for 10 minutes i would i personally i would think it's in my head like i ate a weird thing there's a parasite and it's making me think (laughs) yeah like like i'm hallucinating yeah Yeah. well even that like could you imagine hallucinating while you're alone in the woods f that yeah so like any anything that it could be something's bad something is wrong (laughs) yeah so michael picked up his camp and moved another hundred yards into the tree line smart person the next morning he went towards where he had heard the sounds coming from the night before and he found absolutely nothing. No signs of anyone. So there's just a baby hiking in the woods all by itself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Got it. Yep. <laughs> Later that day, Michael met up with his dad. And he told his dad what had happened. And Michael said the most God-fearing man looked him dead in the eye and said, Good thing you didn't go looking because I was probably a water baby. A water baby? A water baby. Do you know what a water I'm baby is? I'm looking you dead in the eyes to find the <laughs> answers of what the heck a water baby is. You ever is. heard of water babies? No. Okay. I actually didn't know anything about these. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, no. I was like, am I stupid? Am I supposed no. to know? No, I didn't know anything about these until I until I learned about okay. this. <laughs> okay. The legends and stories of water babies first originated from California and Western native tribes. But from what I understand, each tribe has a different description and possibly different origin stories of these water babies. And I decided to base this information off the Uina Ute tribe, since that's who, that's who lived in this area a oh, okay. long time ago. Yeah. Legend goes, and this is according to AncestralFindings.com, mothers were forced to drown their babies if the leaders of the tribe saw them as deformed, weak, or ill. <gasps> they would also do this if the baby was born too close to winter and they didn't have enough resources for the baby to survive. Oh my gosh! My heart is breaking into a million pieces right now. They would make the mothers do that. Not even just like the warriors who are like saying, oh yeah, you, you know, we you can't, can't have these have... babies. Like they're making the mothers drown their own baby. What tribe was this? You and a Ute tribe. But water babies are a known thing over all Western natives. Not a fan of that at all. Yeah. Having the mothers do that is the most, like I bet they were so messed up after that. Oh yeah. You couldn't not be. Mm-mm. Okay, yes. So they would drown these babies in a nearby stream, pond, or lake. And Moon Lake is one of them. Oh my gosh. Some natives believe the babies never died, but instead they adapted to the water. They described that these babies have now grown scales, gills, and fins. So they turned into fish? Yeah, they're called sprites or water babies. Yeah. But they're not friendly. They're actually trying to, like, kill you and eat you. So a mermaid. Aren't they supposed to be, like, the legends of mermaids are, like, that they're sirens or they're... Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I wonder if this is, like, the same family, just more native American. But, yeah, like, the same same thing. They're known to play tricks on tricks on people and lure people towards the water so they can have their revenge on the living. Holy fuck. So I read a story on moonlakeresort.com that I wanted to share with you. Okay. And this story happened a really long time ago here at Moon Lake. 
a Native American warrior named Ontiker was camping alone here at night. Just as he was drifting off to sleep, he heard a loud, high-pitched wailing sound echoing through the trees. He grabbed his weapons, built his fire so he was able to see around him, but as he was building his fire, he kept thinking that the sound that he was hearing was more like an infant crying. Does that sound familiar? Ontiker was certain there wasn't any true reason for the baby being out here, alone, so he decided to follow the noise to see where it was coming from. Mistake. I know. He's brave. Yeah. The crying led Ontiker straight to the water's edge. As he looked out, he saw something floating out into the water. He began wading through the water, and suddenly something grabbed his leg and pulled him under. Ontiker struggled to break free, but then whatever had his leg began speaking to him. Which, I'm thinking... If you're underwater, how can it talk to you? How can it talk to you? He was hallucinating. Or was it like the things in Harry Potter where they talk to you under the water, those things? Maybe. And like when it's outside the water, it's like a screeching sound. And when it's in the water, it's, it's like, like something else. Something pretty. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, that's just how I imagined it. So either it's telepathic or this thing was actually talking to him. Okay. It said, my name is Ontario. I am a water baby. I have come to take you to my home, which is down deep. Ontiker said, I will let you take me with you, but please let me grab food and air from my camp. And Ontario let Ontiker go. Stupid baby. Stupid baby. So Ontiker got his air, but instead of grabbing his food, he grabbed his weapons and began shooting at Ontiker. But no matter how many times Ontiker was hit, he would not die. Ontiker quickly fled the area and vowed to never return. So these things are like immortal, apparently, too. So Just turned off. Your EMF detector turned off. Yeah. Battery's full. Okay, well, it's turned back on now. So yeah, that was a long time ago. We don't really know when. Over the last hundred years or so, uh, Moon Lake has become a place where families come to camp and spend some quality time together. But Moon Lake is actually a reservoir, meaning it's now used to store water that can be used for irrigation purposes. Mm -hmm. That began in 1935 when Moon Lake Dam was built. Because 30 years prior to the dam being built, settlers came to the area and claimed a bunch of land, planted a bunch of crops, and built a bunch of houses. So with a growing population, the dam was built to support more people so there's more water okay. for everybody. Yeah. Moon Lake was a much smaller lake before, so since the dam was built, it like made the lake expand. The problem with that is because of the rising water, it has actually submerged a chief sacred burial ground. Oh, shit. <laughs> you don't mess with burial grounds. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> Do you want to hear about this chief? Yeah. Because guess what? Even though the water has submerged his camp, his campground, I his mean, burial ground. He's camping. <laughs> he's, he's long term. <laughs> yeah. But not only did it submerge his burial site, the story of his burial is actually really creepy. Okay. A great chief had died and the designated burial site for him was on the east side of the lake. The tribe members held a ceremony on the west side of the lake and at the time, it was completely surrounded by a thick curtain of forest trees. The only way to get to the chief's burial site was by canoe. Follow? Yeah. All right. It was decided that four men would travel with the chief's body. They chose an honored warrior, the chief's eldest son, and two medicine men that were to chant prayers and, and spread sacred powders over the dead chief while they traveled across the water. As the men drifted away from the shore, the people continued to burn their large fires and dance while chanting the death song. This ceremony was to continue until the four men had safely returned. The men reached the east side of the lake, and as part of the ceremony, they lifted the chief's body, while on the other side of the lake, the drums stopped, and with one motion, the chief's beautiful white stallion was slain. They killed the chief's horse. Why? Because no one else can have him if the chief can't have him? Yeah, so... I read into it, and it says that they believe that they need to do this so the chief and the stallion could ride together forever in the afterlife. I mean, nice thought, but that's sad. Isn't it? And that yeah. horse is probably just like, dude, <laughs> come on. Anyway, that happened. Then the four men buried the chief's body. Okay. The people watched as the men began their journey back. The water was still, the rain had just stopped, and for a moment, everything was peaceful. Then... The men started quickening their pace as if in a hurry when all of a sudden a large, monstrous hand reached up and capsized their canoe. There was no struggle, no splashing, and the men never resurfaced. A, a, a monstrous hand from the water? Just okay. grabbed it and, and nothing. Oh, the sound effects. Yeah. An elder medicine man gathered the people who witnessed what happened and warned them to stay away from the water as an evil spirit has condemned the sacred burial ground. So, that's so that was, story. It, was it was it that the chief spirit was evil or after this burial or after this ceremony something evil came to it? Option B. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
So there have been several cases of children drowning in this lake, and that's starting with the Native Americans again. Uh, when two boys went missing in the woods, and one of them was seen in the middle of the lake, and just as his mother came over the hill and yelled his name, he was pulled under the water and never seen again. Jeez. Another case, which I have the news article for you to look at. This is the only evidence I have of what happened. Okay. It's just that news article. This is in 1933. Arlene Marie Larson, who was 10 years old, was playing on a pier with some other children when she decided to jump in the water to show the kids she knew how to float. It's said that because the water temperatures were so cold that even the best swimmers can go into shock and their muscles can cramp and that is what leads to a lot of drownings in the glacier-fed lakes. And that's what happened to Arlene. With the bottom of this lake being so difficult to find in many places, the bodies are never usually recovered. But Arlene's body was was recovered several hours later and she's now buried in the Salt Lake City Cemetery. It's believed that her spirit could be haunting this lake today. Some visitors of this lake have reported seeing an apparition of a girl around seven years old, although Arlene was 10, so I don't know. She appears to be cold, wet, and shivering. Aww. Her skin is gray and bloated. Oh my gosh. Her lips are blue and she looks like she is or and she is usually seen crying and asking for help finding her family. Oh my god, no. And when you reach out to help her, she will vanish right in front of you. At night, people hear the sound of someone running through their camp at full speed and then hear splashing in the water followed by panic screams. And when they look, oh no one will be there. We should have camped here. <laughs> that would have been cool to see if we heard any of it. So, do you remember me telling you at the it beginning? It turned off again. What? That's weird. Maybe it's just like not picking up anything, so it just turns off. Does it get bored? Maybe. I don't think there's a timer yeah, on I'll it, though. I'll just hold it and see what happens. Okay. One more legend to tell you. Okay. Well, not legend, but I just have another thing to tell you. Okay. Moon Lake is also the home of a Loch Ness-type creature. No. Yes. Not the not the baby mermaids, but something else. Like a dinosaur kind of creature. Ooh. Like an underwater water dwelling dinosaur. How deep is it? The deepest recording the deepest recorded measurement is seventy-three feet. But what is super creepy about it's not just Moon Lake, but a lot of like the lakes in the Rocky Mountains uh -huh. or just anywhere that has high elevation is that and I didn't do a lot of research into this, but Basically, the water erodes the soil, so uh -huh. sometimes you'll get vertical tunnels. So this oh. lake has vertical tunnels in it. Okay. Yes, they've measured it at 73 feet, but it could go deeper. Okay, that makes sense. People believe that this Loch Ness type creature could be going in and out of these tunnels mm -hmm. and traveling to like other lakes and stuff. Like, because oh. you've heard, you've heard of like other lakes, like not even Utah, other places that have a Loch Ness type creature. Yeah. Well, some believe, some people believe that like all these lakes are interconnected and have these underground rivers Ooh. that they can travel So maybe through. it's all the same one. Yeah. And just pick Or like hits. a family of them. <gasps> what? Our little Loch Ness guy here though, his name is Mooney. It went up a little bit. Did it seriously? Yeah. So his name is Mooney, and he's described to look like a dinosaur, but with flipper-like feet. Oh, Isn't he cute? Yeah. Um, I watched a YouTube interview done by Terry Carter. He interviewed June Baliak. He's the CEO of Ancient Historical Research Foundation. He told countless secondhand stories of, his, of this creature, saying most of his friends from the area refused to go anywhere near Moon Lake because of this creature. One claim that June mentioned said that it was not only a water-dwelling creature, but that it could also walk out into land. Oh my gosh. June said that one of his friends, named Wobbin, who is a native, um, actually saw two two of these creatures walking along the south shore, which is the one that we're on right now. He said that one of them looked like it was an offspring because it was much smaller than the other one. So yeah, there sounds like there's families of something. Could be. Over the years, there have been stories of boaters being harassed by a large creature in the water. I read a story that whatever was under the water was big enough that it was trying to capsize their boat and everybody on the boat like witnessed this and said, yeah, I know that something is in the water and it's huge. Oh, watch out, canoe guy. <laughs> All right, so last thing, I was in contact with the owners, Greg and Yvonne Gardner. I emailed of them. Moonlight? Yeah. Okay. Which I was like, they emailed me back. Because <laughs> I, I emailed them and I'm like, hey, like, can you shed any light on these stories? And apparently they actually just got the ownership of this place in 2020. Oh. So they are also still learning about the history of this place and the stories and everything. And they actually want to encourage people to write into them and tell them their stories. 
So you can email them any personal stories you have about this place, whether it be cryptids or paranormal, whatever it might be, they would love to hear about it. You can email them at mail at moonlakeresort.com. You can also share them with us at stories at hauntandcold.com. We'd love to hear from you. And Sweet. And that's the story of Moon Lake. Dude, I'm glad we weren't on a boat, though. I'd be, like, checking <laughs> right? the water to like, see, like, shit, what's dude. going on. Babies swimming around with weird fins and then... And a Loch Ness. A Loch Ness monster. Dude. Yeah. That's spooky. I think it's... I think it's... I'm scared of water. Yeah. In general. <laughs> Deep water, I can't do. I have to be covered in flotation devices for me to want to be out. Well, I remember like snorkeling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weren't you and Josh holding onto a floaty the whole time? I was, and... I was glued to a floaty, and I would not <laughs> let it go because I can't swim very well. And I know that if I let go of something that's keeping me afloat, I will sink to the bottom to never be heard from again. You're like a rock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like I could probably float if I really tried and calmed down enough. But that's a... Lakes, I'm not going to mess with lakes. And the tribal burial ground scares me enough because you just... You don't mess with that. You don't mess with... Tri like, you hear it all the time. Mm -hmm. If you mess with a, a burial ground, you're going to be haunted to death. And that's why, like, if you mess with old homes or, you know, burial grounds or whatever, you mess with the foundation of whatever is there, mm -hmm. It's it brings up activity. So I feel like... Yeah, it's like bad juju. Yeah, it's bad juju, man. Oh, my gosh. We should have camped here, though. Yeah, well, and that's that why... That would have been spooky. Yeah, and I was going to ask you if you wanted to do an overnighter, but they're completely booked. Yeah, it's really pretty out here, It is though. super pretty. Well, check out Moon Lake, everybody. Yeah, check out Moon Lake and tell us your stories. If you hear any crying babies... Don't go looking. Don't look for them. Just, just let their just, mom take care of them. Maybe start singing them a lullaby. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whether it's for you or for them. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I don't know. But that's cool. I've never heard of this place. And next uh, next episode, I'm really excited because it's even haunted or haunted or are we going there yeah we're going there we're going to every single haunted place i could find okay i have not found a story for my second <laughs> one yet but it will also be about murder in the sharana <laughs> the office, the office. Yeah. all right so how do we end this um bye <laughs> So thanks for listening to us, and we are going to do episodes every other Sunday. Check back. So our first episode is coming out on October 3rd. So this comes out October 3rd. Okay. And the next episode will be October... The next one. <laughs> the Not two ones after that. Yeah, the next... Hold on. Beep, boop, bop. Okay, so this comes out on October 3rd. And the next one will be on October 17th. So we are going to get you guys ready for the Halloween spooky season. Oh my gosh. Spooky. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, make sure you share with your friends and like our like our podcast and subscribe and, and listen. And listen. <laughs> come back. Um, Please come back. Listen, honestly, our only fan right now is our dad. <laughs> and I don't think he's going to like this episode. I talked about my sister's erection. <laughs> I Again. <laughs> That's like the third time I've said something about it. And then, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. But, all right, you're done. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Uh, thank you for listening. Okay, goodbye. Bye.